I was thinking of a variety of ways to, to start this message, and it's entitled, very simply, A Great Question. In many ways, you can learn a lot about a person, not only by the answers they give to questions that are posed to them, but often by the kind of questions they ask. And as you think about God, one of the things we can know more about God is to ask the, and to look at God's Word, not looking, looking for answers, but looking for questions. What really is God concerned about that we might know? And we're going to see that this morning. Now, some of you uh, maybe were with people as they were growing up, or maybe you still know people today, that they're, they're just a constant source of questions. They're just asking questions all the time. When uh, Mark was a little guy, we decided to put an adjective to his name, Mark, and we just said, question Mark. I mean, that's all he did was ask questions. And I don't know where he got that from, but anyway, he asked questions all the time. And as we think about this morning, we're going to look at a question that Jesus, uh, through uh, James, because as we think of God as the author of everything that's in the Word of God, ask. And this is the great question. Who among you is wise and understanding? And that's just half the verse. He actually gives the answer, James, right after that. But who among you is wise and understanding? Now, initially, you might ask that collectively. Okay, let's look around the room, and who do we, well, who do we consider the, 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 the smartest people in the world? Who, who, do we, who do we go to for counsel? Who, who in this room really gives sage advice? And that's helpful because if you know wise people, it could possibly rub off on you, right? But you could take this personally. You could say, am I a person who is wise? And has understanding. Because really, eventually, that's what he wants you to get down to. Could you answer that question in the affirmative? I am a wise and understanding person. Now, for some of you, I know your initial reaction is, well, that's, that's not possible. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not educated enough. I didn't go to the finest schools, and I don't have a PhD before or after my name. Uh, so I don't qualify. Or as I was learning from some people this week, uh, there's a group called Mensa. How many are familiar with Mensa? Okay, so about a third of you are. Uh, I was one of those two-thirds that had no idea what that is. I was surprised that I wasn't notified by Mensa because uh, <laughs> Mensa is one of those groups that uh, collects those who have a high IQ. I guess you have to be the 98th percentile, which is between 130 and 132. And I don't understand why they weren't knocking down my door to get involved in that organization. But you might say, well, you know, if I look at my IQ compared to other people or just the basic intelligence, I don't think I quite measure up. And if I don't measure up to be in the Mensa group, then I can't be a wise person with understanding. Or you might be thinking, well, I went to the wrong field. I, you know, I work with my hands or I do X, Y, Z. And if I really was a, a person with wisdom and understanding, I'd, I'd be a counselor. I'd be a psychiatrist or a psychologist, or I'd be a theologian or whatever it might be. And so you can look through whatever it might be to look at what you would consider the criteria for people to be put in that class. You are a person full of wisdom and understanding. But really, the answer to that question, we're going to see very simply, and then it's expanded. It has nothing to do with education. It has nothing to do with your occupation. It really speaks about how you live out your life in a way that demonstrates that you're a wise person with understanding. Who among you is wise 
and understanding. Now, I'm going to resist the temptation most of the time not to go off on tangents. But it's interesting here about wisdom and understanding. Wisdom you could use as a synonym. It's it's skills. You got skills? I mean, some of you, uh, you know, have skills in a variety of different areas. And and wisdom has the idea of skills of everyday life. Some people will put a phrase, does this person have common sense? We've all known people who have high intelligence but no common sense. And so he's talking about the, the life skills that know how to navigate through life in a way that, that doesn't create chaos and disorder. But he also uses the word, who among you is wise and has understanding? And the understanding, is, is some look at that word, it really has the idea of specific areas. And I want you to understand, if you have skills in a particular area, don't diminish that. Now, God has given you that. And, and, and you can look at other people and, and really get discouraged by way of comparison and say, well, you know, as I look at an automobile and something goes wrong, I have no idea how to fix it. But, you know, people have skills in that area. And, and I'm very thankful that I know some people have skills in the kitchen. You know, they, they know how to cook, and I don't know how to cook. And it could be in your particular job or vocation, you have skills. And, and God says, just appreciate that you are able to do things well in a particular field. But, but the broader scope of what he is saying here, I want you to have skills in life where you are able to live out the life I planned for you and, and not mess it up because you know where wisdom comes from. So he asked the question, who among you is wise and understanding? Then he gives a short answer to it. He says, let him show by his good behavior, his good deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. And really, does he answers this by saying, well, if you want to demonstrate it, this is how you demonstrate it. You will demonstrate that you have life skills with your good behavior. And I think that's just common sense, isn't it? If, if someone had bad behavior, you would say, well, that person isn't very wise, right? So if you're going to be wise, it's not about how many you know, neurons are firing here in terms of knowing the minutia in life. It doesn't mean you win at jeopardy. But it means what you do is you live well in your good behavior. And then he says, okay, I want you to understand, I'm talking about concrete stuff, by his good behavior, his deeds. And so there's specific things you do that demonstrate that you have wisdom. And then he describes, I want you to understand what wisdom is. It has a characteristic to it. It has the idea of being gentle, the gentleness of wisdom. Now, it's interesting. You're going to see... I have to be careful I don't go off on this uh, rabbit trail here. There's a, there's two, the word gentle or gentleness is used twice in the text, and there's different Greek words here. And they're similar, but somewhat different as well. But he's describing wisdom in a broad sense here when he says the gentleness of wisdom, and that your life is, is lived under control and not out of control. Sometimes when we think of a person who is gentle, they're kind of a little bit too meek and mild for our own taste. They're kind of, they're kind of stepping it back, and they're never up in the forefront. It has nothing to do with, with personality. Moses is considered the meekest man who ever lived, apart from Jesus, and he was power under control. And there were times he had a temper and kind of got him out of the promised land. And he had a, he had a lead, a, a stubborn, stick-necked people from Egypt toward the promised land. And so he was strong, but most of the time he was, he was also gentle because he had to lead these people in, in ways that they didn't want to go, and he used the power of God to make that happen very practically. And so this morning what we want to do is we want to look at what does it really mean to be able to say in the affirmative an answer of yes, I am a wise and understanding person by living out 
the plan that are, is given to us in terms of, of having good behavior, having deeds that demonstrate that, that you got it together, that you got some common sense. You, you know which path to go on. And, and not only do you know it, but you actually do it. Now, some of you, I know you get intimidated when I put all these things in my outline, so I just want you to relax here. Okay. I, I really only have two points, sort of. Okay, I, that my two points is this. I, I'm going to talk about wisdom you don't want and wisdom you do want. So that's really all I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to put a few things in between, all right? Wisdom you don't want and wisdom you do want. But let me describe wisdom in three different ways. If you look at Scripture, you, you're not, I'm not going to look at a lot of passages in the, in the beginning of this, but there is three types of wisdom as I look at it. There is, there is uh, partial wisdom, there's pitiful wisdom, and, and then there's practical wisdom. Now, partial wisdom would be Interesting enough, illustrating the life of a man who was considered the, the wisest man who ever lived, again, apart from Jesus, and that person's name is who? Solomon. We all, we all know Solomon is described in Scripture because of the gift of God of having wisdom from above given to him. And again, he led this gigantic nation to prosperity. And so he, he really demonstrated that he had the ability to, to make decisions skillfully that would would lead a nation. But the reality is his wisdom was partial because he knew what to do, but didn't always what? Do it. And partial wisdom is knowing what to do and not doing it. And many people today raised, are raised to prominence because they, they kind of have a know-it-all perspective and they really do have the right answers. But having the right answers is not enough it only really is fruitful if you take those answers and put them into life practice. Uh, let me give you an illustration. Of that. If, you, if you have your Bibles, turn up Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is that book that comes after Psalms and Proverbs. And if you can't find it really quickly, let me just read it to you. But, but Psalm is writing about his experience. And he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, I said to myself, and so Solomon was a man that was self uh, uh, aware. He did reflective thinking. He, he looked at his life and said, how's my life going? And he said, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. Verse 2, and I said of laughter, it is madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, which is interesting. He says, all these things I got involved in that I've now described as futile. It, it really, it's really not helping me out here. It's not very good common sense. It's not very skillful to live this way, though it, I enjoyed it for a time. And there was a wisdom in it. There were some skills to be able to experience all this life has to offer. But I've discovered it's just folly. How to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. You know, I just went for it. I went for all the gusto there is in life. And so Solomon knew what to do, and we could describe all the things he did well. But in the end, he discovered that his ability to know what to do did not help him unless he was committed to doing it. Now, at the end of his life, in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, he had a conclusion. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is this. Fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies for every person. 
So I, I just want to let you know, every time you study the Word of God on your own, every time you hear the Word of God taught or preached, it's great to receive that information. But it really will do you no good. In fact, in some ways, you could say it could give you harm. If you think by just hearing it and not doing it, it does you any good. In fact, I think James said that, right? You delude yourself if you simply are hearers of the word and not doers of it. And so Solomon, the wise man in the world, only had partial wisdom because he knew it, but he didn't always what? Do it. Now, let me just be honest here in case I don't say this later on. We're all on that journey. None of us do it perfectly, right? But that's the direction of our life. So I'm not talking about arriving at it. But this is the pursuit of our life to say, I want to not only hear it, but I want to do it. So there's partial wisdom. And then there's pitiful wisdom. Pitiful wisdom is the person who thinks he knows what is good, but it's really what? It's really bad. You know, that's, that's the person who, who believes the lie. That's the person who is self-deceived and thinks this is what life is all about. And there are many examples of that, but, and we don't have the time to go through that. But there are many people who think they, got their, they, they know what life is really all about, but they're going down the road of destruction. And they're not only going to hurt themselves, they're going to hurt the people around them. And they just think they know what is right. That's pitiful wisdom. But then there's practical wisdom. Practical wisdom is knowing what to do, how to do it, and then doing it. And, and that's my desire for all of us, is that we might know what to do. We might not only know what to do, but how to do it. And that's a challenge for many preachers and teachers. You know, we can tell you what to do, but, well, yeah, well, how am I supposed to put that in action? And wisdom is getting that information into a game plan and then say, okay, that's how I'm going to operate. That's how I'm going to pursue it and make it, make it work in my life. All right, well, let's get back to James, and let's look at what James did in terms of expanding his answer. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. And, and he expands on that as he, as he really contrasts the type of wisdom that really, um, if you put it in two categories, the wisdom you don't want and the wisdom you do want. And, and it's very simple as you look, look, at through, look at the passage in terms of how he describes it. Well, what is the wisdom you don't want? Well, you don't want the wisdom that's going to produce bad results, bad results. And, and I think, uh, you know, we could illustrate that in so many different ways in terms of there are a lot of times we might have a, a process by which uh, we think we're going to reach a certain goal. You know, basically, I, I, you know, the kind of the, the diet I like to go on is eat ice cream and chocolate and candy as much as I want. You know, that's, that's what I think would be a wise way to live. But the reality is I'm not going to get very good results from that, Right. Well, he says, you know, there's a, there's a way to pursue life, and you're gonna, if you do it this way, you're not going to make it in terms of living a skillful, wise life. And he describes that in verse 14 and 16. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. So if you look at your life and take an honest assessment, you can say, well, are these things true of how I'm living right now? Do I, uh, do I, do I manifest bitter jealousy? The word for bitter there is really a, this, a word actually used. You know, we had a water purification project that we did in Honduras, and Lord willing, we're going to share that experience uh, next Lord's, uh, Lord's Day on a Sunday to show some pictures and have some testimonies. Uh, but 
basically what we tried to do is we took water that was undrinkable and tried to make it what? Drinkable. We took water that was bitter and wanted to make it water that tasted good, right? And he says, you know, you look at your life and if really, (laughs) as you examine, you know, you're, you're just... You're just angry all the time. You're just, you, you feel like the whole world's against you. you you're, just, you're just overwhelmed by the things going on in life, and you, you're preoccupied with wanting what other people have rather than enjoying what you do have. Well, that's not, that's not a wise way to live. That's just bitter jealousy. And, and then he has the idea of selfish ambition. In fact, if you were to describe bad wisdom, it, it, it's really the life in which all you're doing really is seeking that which you want for yourself. In some ways, that's counterintuitive. If you want the most in life, are you supposed to keep your life or what? Lose it, right? That's what Jesus said, which is pretty profound. And he said, many people just mess up right here. They're, they're trying to pursue life by drawing all their attention to themselves. And, and all you do is get wrapped up in yourself, and that's not skillful living. And then he said, I want you to understand, it, it can lead to even Larger things, he says, because this will result in disorder and every evil thing. You know, I found, uh, if you go to my office, uh, you know, I have a tendency to have a, a few books in my office. It's just like wall-to-wall books. And I have discovered an unwise thing. The more books you have, the more difficult it is to find the book you want. <laughs> you know, it's not that skillful to have more books than you really need or you can't find the ones. The thing is, it's hard to part with them because disorder leads to chaos, doesn't it? And I want you to understand, what God is saying to us, he wants us to be saved from that. I don't want you to go down a path that just creates more problems than solutions. I don't want you to be involved in those things that are bringing you down to an evil path, but a good path. I don't want things to be chaotic in your life. I want to have, them, have some order so you might live the life fully that I've planned for you to live. So what's the kind of wisdom you don't want? What's the lifestyle? And basically we're talking, wisdom is lifestyle. I, I don't want you to have a lifestyle which you be characterized by bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, just disorder, and things if you were really honest, are leading to things that you wouldn't want to make public for everybody. That's every evil thing. But I think not only can you discover what wisdom you don't want as far as what, it, what, it, what are the results, but where does it come from? Where, did, where does the pitiful wisdom come from? Well, it goes on in verse 15, in the middle of this section he describes. He says, it's this wisdom, this pitiful wisdom, this wisdom that does not work... Uh, in a way that's going to enhance your life but destroy your life. This wisdom is not, that which, is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. Now, those words are helpful because it can kind of describe, well, where am I really getting the counsel for my life? Where, where am I really giving the pointers as far as which direction I ought to go? And he said, well, you can look for these sources, and the first two you know, might be tempting. The third one is just a reality check. But he says, you know, this wisdom that is pitiful that will result in selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, and disorder, and every evil thing, it, it, it does not come from God. It's, it's earthly. 
And really, you could just say this. It's wisdom from the world. It's trying to go to the infomercial. Isn't it interesting how infomercials are, in many ways, are like a testimonial meeting. It's like going to church and someone telling you how much Jesus means to them, how it's changed their life. And there's so many products on TV. You just buy this product. You can clean your house with not working at all, you know. If you just use this product, it will make you healthy. You'll have abs like Pastor Mike or whatever it might be, you know. You'll just do it. You don't have to exercise the rest of your life. You'll just buy this product. It's a testimony, and it's, it's this earthly wisdom that does not work. And so, so we need to be very careful by just hearing things or seeing things that are so persuasive but there is no wisdom in it that's going to result with good results, only bad results. So earthly or worldly wisdom. And then he says natural wisdom. The Bible says there's a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof is what? Destruction. So just doing what you think is right doesn't make it what? Right. You can check yourself. How many times do you justify what you do? Well, I just thought that was the thing I should do. That's just, that seemed right to me. That's the way I've always thought. Well, that doesn't necessarily make those thinking processes the right ones. And so you, you have to have a reality check. Am I getting my wisdom from the world? Am I getting my wisdom only what I feel is right or I think is right at the moment? Now, you might have right thoughts, but you're not right all the time. And so how do you, how do you fact check which direction you're going. You know, where, where's your GPS? And, and your GPS cannot be simply what you hear in the world, what's popular for the moment, or even what you think is right at the moment. And, and, then, he, and then he throws in, just as a shocker, says, I want you to know this kind of wisdom is demonic. Basically, you can get your guidance from life either from heaven or from what? From hell. You know, who's your counselor? Who, who are the people, who, who do you consult to? Well, I consult my local demon. You know, I, I try to get my strategy from, for life from Satan. Now, none of us would ever say that, but he said, I want you to understand, if you're getting your cues for life from the world, from your own self, that's demonic. That's not the path that I have for you. Okay, so, so anybody want to sign up for that kind of wisdom? That wisdom you don't want. Well, let's get on to the good stuff. What is the wisdom you do want? Okay, well, let's look what he says in verse 17. This is the first part of it. But the wisdom from above, and then he describes it. He said, I, I, it's interesting, often in the Old Testament, uh, the, the people of God, Israel, you know, they, they knew the Ten Commandments, they struggled with all of them, but one-on-ones, they say, you know, we don't, we're, we're tired of, of taking the Lord our God's name in what? Thing. Well, they decided I, we got a trick that we can, we're going to apply to our lives and we'll never, the rest of our lives, take the name of the Lord our God in vain. And you know what their solution was? We'll never use the name of the Lord. Okay, we might use all other kinds of names, but we're never going to use his, his covenant personal name given to us through Moses. We'll never use Yahweh. Okay, and often in the Old Testament, they would, they would use a substitute. They'd use the word Adonai because they didn't want to write Yahweh or say Yahweh and then do something foolish. And so they thought they would somehow not break that commandment. And, of course, 
you know, Jesus is the master of that teaching. You, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You, you, you can break the commandment of taking the Lord's uh, God, his name in vain by representing him in a poor way. And he said, you know, even if you just say one thing and don't do it, as, an, as a person who identifying with God, you don't have to say, I swear on the name of God. Your yes needs to be yes, and your no needs to be no. But anyway, so James, writing to the 12 dispersed tribes, when he says from above or from heaven, he's saying the wisdom is from who? God. So you had Satan on one perspective wisdom, and you have God's wisdom on the other side. Now, which one do you want? I want God's wisdom. And just in case we don't think above or from heaven is what he's saying here, just turn back in James to James 1, verse 5. He says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of who? God. And God is not stingy when he wants to give wisdom. He says, and he always wants to give wisdom, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So let me just take another step back. What we're talking about today is who among you is wise and understanding? And he says, I, I want you to understand, this is open to everybody. Because you can be wise, not based on your vocation or your academic pursuits, but you can be wise if, if the, the, the desire of your heart is to will, live a skillful life, a, a life filled with God's common sense, looking at life decisions from his perspective and responding to life's trials from his perspective, and, and living out the, the truth of God's word in very practical ways, you can answer in the affirm, who among you is wise and understanding? And you can raise your hand because that's the direction of your life. And so how, how, how can I say I can, I can do that? Because God says, come to me and I will give you that kind of wisdom. And, and there's no qualification there. You have to have a certain academic degree. You have to have a certain vocation. You have to have certain experiences. No, you simply need to come to him and say, I want your wisdom. Now, again, it's a journey. It's a pursuit. We all make decisions that we learn from, but the direction of our lives, I want, I want God to lead me. I want God to lead me. So where does this wisdom come, the practical wisdom? It comes from God. It comes from above. So there's one last thing we get to look at, and here's where we get to do some self-evaluation here a little bit. Well, not only does it come from a good place, it produces what kind of results? Good results. And so James doesn't want to leave anybody in the dark here. Well, what does wisdom look like? And so he describes it with all these phrases in verses 17 and 18. And one of my challenges for all of us this week is, is, you, is you read through these, uh, do some self-evaluation. You know, on a scale of one to five, five being the best, how am I in these categories? And it's not to discourage you, but to say, I need to pursue this more aggressively. And I need to be honest about myself. This is not how I'm living. And maybe, maybe I've rationalized my behavior and say, well, that's just who I am. That's just my personality. That's just how I'm wired. Look, God is in the change agent business. No matter what our nurture and nature was, God can give us a good nature. In fact, he's given us a, a new nature, Right? And so we're being transformed continually if we know the Lord. One, one sidestep here. How, how do people get on that, that wisdom journey? Well, first of all, it begins with knowing God, doesn't it? 
If God is the source of wisdom, we've got to know the person who can give us wisdom. Secondly, it, it begins with fearing him. And some will use the word reverence, and I don't care whether you would fear or reverence, but it, it means, okay, I go to God for wisdom. I fear and reverence him to the point, say, well, when he tells me what to do, I'm going to what? Do it. Yeah, there, there's two types of motivations in the world. It's the good results or the bad results, right? I, I, I want that which is good, but I don't want that which is bad. And when we fear the Lord, say, look, he knows what he's, what, what's best, and so I want to follow that. Why would I why not follow that? would just be foolish, right? And then thirdly, it's being filled with God's Spirit. It's the Spirit of God who empowers us to do that. And then it's Scripture. Scripture, is what, which is the words of God, gives us guidance for that. Like, again, this is all for free. This isn't part of the message. But turn your Bibles to Psalm 119. This is one of my favorite passages in all Psalms 119. He says this. This is the psalm. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, but I have observed your precepts. He describes it through a different way. If you want to be wise, if you want to be wiser than the people who are always attacking you or are trying to put you down, this meditate on God's word. If you want to be wiser than all the teachers, you're always uh, trying to communicate things that you don't know. Say, I, I, I know what's most important because I know God's word. If you really want to be successful in life, then follow God's plan. You can be more experienced than people who have more experiences than you if you learn from the experiences that are found in Scripture. But what does wisdom look like? Let's get back to James, and we'll finish this section uh, this morning. This is such a great passage that really speaks about how God wants us to be. And so he describes it this way. And I'm going to use the, ver- the words in the text, and then we'll kind of expand a little bit. But then wisdom from above, which is from God, is first pure. Now, the idea of purity there has the idea of it, it's, it's not mixed or diluted. Okay, it, it's, it's the real thing. It, it, it's authentic. It's genuine. It, it's what's supposed to be. Again, the water purification project. The, the one thing that was obvious was that the water that we started with wasn't pure. It was, it was diluted. It, there were things mixed in it that we didn't want in it. And, and so it needed to be cleaned up. So it was able to do that what was always intended to do, which is be able to be used by people who want to be uh, hydrated and, and nourished by the water that they needed to drink. And what he's saying here to us, in your own life, are there some things in your life that you've kind of just diluted in terms of or mixed your faith with other things you know that God doesn't want? It's hard for God to use us as a vessel for him when there's things in our life that need to be cleaned up. You know, why would God want to give us additional direction if there's already things in our lives that we haven't been obeying now. Does that make sense? I don't mean struggling. We all struggle with certain things. But maybe some things in our life we said no to God and said, no, that's just the way I am. I'm not going to change. I'm, I'm not going down that path. And I've, I, I've, I've mixed my faith with things in the world or my own desires. 
Wisdom is being pure before God. It doesn't mean you're sinless, but you're, you're just open for God to purify anything that needs to be purified, to take out anything that needs to be taken out, and to say, God, I, I want to go your way. Does that make sense? That's wise. You know, I think we've all had... Um, just even things, you, you can mess up something to drink by having things in them that shouldn't be. And then you could have something that you really like to drink. And let's say, let's say it's some of your great, some of your big coffee drinkers, all right? Some of you like it really, you know, and then some of you like it like this. But no matter how it is, you take a cup of coffee and you, if you poured way too much water into it, it'd be, why drink it, Right? Because it's been diluted so much, it doesn't even taste like coffee anymore. And that's sometimes how it is in our walk with God. So it begins with purity. And again, this is objective. How do we know we have a pure faith? Well, are we living it out? Look at James 1.27. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained in the world. We went over that passage. He's not saying we ought ought to be in orphans and widow ministry. But what he's saying is, are you living your life only for yourself? If you're living your life only for yourself, that's not the real thing. We're not self-centered. We're other-centered because Christ has made us centered in him. And so we need to look at our lives. Am I living for other people or am I just living for myself? Does that make sense? That's wise. Not be concerned just about yourself. I have to be careful. We'll never get through these, all right? Then he goes, it's peaceable. Some have put it this way. This is a person who's in relationship with people is looking for common ground. Uh, I mean, I'd be so careful I could go, go down so many tangents. Yeah, I, I, I like debating, arguing people just for fun, okay? I don't even care what side I'm on. I'll take the opposite side. Okay, now, it's all right to do that for fun, but if, if you're the kind of person that's always so disagreeable, you're, you're, you're the person that's always creating conflict, you know, this, that, that's not wise. And you might be thinking, you know, how, how come I don't have very many friends? Well, might be because you're not living very wisely, and why aren't you living wisely? Because you're not looking for common ground. You're not looking for ways to, to connect. You're looking for ways to disconnect. Proverbs 17, 9 says this, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. You know, this is a person who stirs up strife. You're not looking at getting people together. You're, you're looking to divide people. That's just not wise. Uh, thirdly, it, it is gentle. The wise in heart will be called discerning and sweetness and speech increases persuasiveness. This is a person who's respectful. Uh, they're gentle. They're, they're again, they're, they've got their tongue under control. They, they, they're, they're not looking to just um, be abrasive in relationships. Are, are there people in your life, if all of a sudden they were right here, all you could do would speak angry words at them? You know, Jesus, at times when he was falsely accused, wouldn't even say a word. He just was under control. I've got to throw this out to you. 
they did a study. They had 800,000 college students that they were going to interview with this one simple question. And the, and the question was, as you look at yourself, and it was kind of the idea of being peaceable and gentle, would you say that you're above average in getting along with people or below average? So you got the survey question? If you just look at yourself, compare yourself to others, are you a person that's above average in getting along with people or below average? Now, you don't have to shout it out to me, but you might be thinking, about, okay, how many in that 800,000 survey of students thought they were below average? And I had a mind in my I had an answer in my mind. You know what the answer was? Not one person thought they were below average in getting along with people. Now, you don't have to have, be a mathematician to realize if you have 800,000 people and you're talking about average, if you really were able to discern what half of them would be above average and half would be what? Below average. So what we have here is at least, at least 400,000 people were, were not self-aware that they had some problems in social skills, Right? And so it's quite possible, as we look at our own life, if we're brutally honest, and one of the ways to do this survey is to ask people that you know and say, give me a rating from one to five. Am I, am I pure? <laughs> am I peaceable? Am I gentle? And, and the next one, this is a person who is reasonable. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Some people hate that stupid word. They don't think it ought to be ever used, but it's in the Bible. And what is he saying here? He who hates reproof, how do you respond when people correct you? Another way to look at reasonable there is, are you teachable? Some people like to teach, but are they willing to be what? Taught. Do you really come across to people that you're always willing to learn from what they have to say? Are you a good listener, or you're o- are you only a person who likes to talk? You're just waiting for get your word in. How are you from a scale of one to five? Are, are you a teachable person? Are you a reasonable person? Are you a person who thinks you're always right? Now, I am always right, but do you think you're a person? No. You know, do you think you're always right? If you think you're always right, that's not very reasonable, is it? It's not very teachable. He goes on, then he says, this is a person who's full of mercy. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says this, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. You know, merciful is, is giving people what they don't deserve. Now, some of us are merciful with people we think deserve our mercy, but we're not very merciful with people who we think don't deserve our mercy. It doesn't mean that God is not going to be the judge of all this and we're, we're saying things that people do that are wrong or right, but, but we aren't always the judge and jury of people. Do you realize that? We, we don't have to be pointing out what's wrong in people's life a lot. Now, if you're going to be part of the solution, you're coming alongside a person and say, hey, I, I want to help you, then you know, speak your heart, speak your mind. But if you're not going to be in the part of, of, of helping a person, then... Just give him mercy. Just, just let it go. Don't take into account. I mean, I've got a good, good memory in some areas, and I, I can remember a lot of things. And some of those things I need to learn to forget. We ought to, I always like this phrase. Is we ought to remember there are certain things in life we ought to remember and certain things we ought to what? Forget. And we have a tendency to forget the things we ought to remember 
and remember the things we ought to forget. And so we ought to give mercy. That's wise. Don't just hold on to things. It is full of good fruits. Uh, don't have a lot of time in that. Matthew 18, 21 through 35 the story could also relate to forgiveness and mercy. But here's a person who, who begged his owner for just forgiveness for the debt he owed him. In fact, he prostrated himself. He looked so sincere. And then somebody owed him a few pennies, and he threw him in jail. See, the, the reality is we'll, we'll really know that we are walking a walk of wisdom is if our life is changed. Then are we willing to give the good that we've received? But if we use the good we receive and then don't give good to someone else, are we demonstrating the fruits of knowing the one who gives wisdom? Real quickly, unwavering. It's almost an untranslated word. It has so many different nuances to it, but it really has the idea of being not unstable or double-minded. It's being fair with people. Uh, it's interesting, Leviticus 19.15 says this, you shall do no injustice in judgment. Don't be unstable. Uh, you shall not be partial to the poor nor refer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. And we would think about that would be a wise person. He's not confused in his own uh, passions when issues come to them. You look for the truth. So many stories I could tell them that. And then finally, it's without hypocrisy. And you remember what hypocrite in the, old, in the New Testament is. This person puts a mask on. And basically actors, you know, they didn't have a lot of costumes. So all they do is they put something on their, on their face. And, and all of a sudden that would hide who they really were. And they would portray themselves as something they're not. And when we do that with people, we put up walls. We, we try to, to, to hide ourselves because we think that if they really knew who we were, they wouldn't like us. And so we put on some kind of mask. God says, just be real. In Matthew chapter 7, it, it talks about the idea of a person who, who's always, again, picking fault of somebody else, and, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a speck in someone's eye that needs to be taken out, but the problem is he's got a log in his own life. And God always wants us to deal with the things in our lives before we try to deal with something in somebody else's life. So what's the question this morning? The question this morning is, are you pursuing wisdom, life skills that come from knowing God, fearing God, from, from God's Spirit, and particularly His Scripture, that ascribes wisdom that's from below and ascribes wisdom that's from above? And the good news is, the answer to the question, who among you is wise and understanding? That's available for anyone who desires to live the life that God has intended them to live.